1 to 21, John 3, verses 1 to 21. In your pew Bible, you will find that on page 1059, 1059. And you can follow along on the screen. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For, those, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest he works, his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've been talking about the television series The Chosen often lately, and I will again just to say that if you watch the first season of The Chosen, you, I think, like me, probably were just gripped by the relationship Jesus has with Nicodemus. They really fleshed out the person of Nicodemus in a magnificent way in The Chosen. And in so doing, they really helped us to understand the compassion that Jesus is expressing when he talks to Nicodemus. 
and also the the deep respect that that Jesus is is showing Nicodemus. He's saying, you know, you're a teacher, you're you're a teacher of teachers, and you you just aren't quite getting this. But we will also find out that he has said to Nicodemus, you're not far from the kingdom. You, you're not far at all. You're, you're just this close. And so we have to consider then how we are like Nicodemus with these passages that we've just read. If Jesus said to you, you can't come to the Father completely unless you're born again, what would your response be? Would you be like Nicodemus and say, in a very practical sense, um, how does that work, Jesus? I mean, how can I be born again, you know, and do I, can I go back to my, my mother's womb? That, that's ridiculous. What an absurd thing to say. And then Jesus explains it very plainly. And, and this may be, you know, even a little graphic if you don't mind, but, but uh, I just heard that we've got kids who grew up on the farm and stuff. So that, you know what, so did Jesus. He, he grew up around uh, agronomy. He grew up around a culture that depended heavily on animals. And so pretty much anybody who heard him say what he said to Nicodemus would understand his meaning when he says that you must be born of water and the spirit, you must be born of the flesh, and then your spirit must be reborn. In other words, he's just making a comparison between natural birth, which always involves water. Mammals, when they give birth, they have an issue of water because the baby is carried in a sack of fluids that eventually bursts and the birth happens, right? Water, that's what it's usually referred to. As and uh, if you've been an expectant father like I have, you know when when honey when honey says the water's just broke, it's time to get your plan in motion, right? You know, so so this is what Jesus means when he says you must be born of water and the Spirit. And in my opinion, a lot of harm has been done by people who tried to make it about more than that, because Jesus qualifies what he says plainly in the very next statement. You must be born in the flesh, and then you must be born again in the spirit. And so he's making it clear to anybody who's having, a trouble, having trouble with this basic statement of faith, don't get anxious about this. You know, I'm not talking about new physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual rebirth. And I would say that, that um, in another context, I would be happy to flesh this out with you to, to talk about it extensively in terms of the grand condition of humanity and the nature of sin and the fall. But for now, we'll stick to the topic at hand. The fact is, is Jesus is saying you have to be born again in your spirit. And what does that look like? How does that even work? Well, I can tell you what the recipe is or the formula, but it doesn't mean that you will succeed because it has everything to do with what's going on inside you. And, you know, speaking of that, the childbirth analogy, I, I had a realization when my dear bride was giving birth to our children, and, and it was that no matter how much I love her, no matter how much I want to, to take the burden away from her, I can't. I just can't. 
I can comfort her, I can encourage her, but I can't take the pain for her, even though I would gladly do so. And this is the way it is when I talk about you being born again. I would love nothing more than to be able to, 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 to somehow bear that weight for you because I love you and I want to see you in eternal happiness with Christ. I want to see you born again and not so troubled by the world as you would be if you lived in the flesh. And, and it's like if there was just some way that I could do it for you, if I could do the heavy lifting for you, I would do it. Fortunately, there is someone who can, who has, and it's Jesus Christ. He has done it for you. And yet I still can't tell you what the secret to being born again is without being sadly aware that only you'll know for sure if you got it right. And I promise you that it, as far as getting it right is concerned, it doesn't really come down to whether you do exactly what I tell you to do. It has everything to do with whether or not you submit in every sense to the authority of Christ. So here's the formula. It's really not complicated. The first thing you have to do is recognize that you're a sinner. Evangelists have been saying this for generations. The first thing you have to do to be born again is to recognize that you're a sinner. Now, for some of us, it's as guttural and literal as when we talk about being born again, and we have to have it made clear to us that we're not talking about physical rebirth. And so let me just say, if you recognize that you're a sinner, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking about particular moral standards or particular behaviors or anything like that. Those are all signs and symptoms of your sin condition. And so we don't harp on what you do or don't do and whether that's evil or not any more than we elevate one person over another to say, well, because this person doesn't do certain things that other people do, this is a more saintly person than that person. We just don't go there. That's not how this works. It's easy for many of us as Christians who attended church all our lives to think that somehow we're morally superior it's easy for us to imagine that because we attend church, because we live a morally superior life, we are born again, that we're secure. And it just isn't true. So the first thing you have to do to be born again is to realize that's not true. That there's nothing about how you've lived your life or the choices you've made that will qualify you for new birth in the spirit. There's nothing you can do to make yourself ready for new birth in Christ other than to admit that without his intervention, you can't be born again. This is a very hard pill to swallow for people, especially who haven't heard this message a lot. <laughs> and I'm amazed and dismayed at how many times you can go to church in a lifetime and not hear this message. If you want to be born again into an eternal life with God, in the presence of God, you have to admit you're a sinner. And what is sin? Sin is a lack of regard and respect for God. It's a sense that somehow you are God, that your life and your desires, your tastes, your interests, 
Your pursuits are all more important than God's interests for you. You remember last week when I said that when you come to church, it's tempting to think that you're coming here to figure out what God can do for you and how God can give you what you want or need. But in fact, worshiping God is all about offering yourself to God so that he can take from you whatever he wants or needs. It makes all the difference because that's the defining point between sin and holiness. Living as a sinner is living as though you're the center of it all. Living as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, is to live as he is the center of it all. If Christ is the center of everything, and God knows he is. <laughs> in fact, even the enemy knows that he is. Everybody in the unseen realm is very clear on this fact that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything that is, was, and ever will be. And the sinner is the one who doesn't figure that out. And so when you come to the point of repentance, when you say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I took myself so seriously. I'm sorry that I didn't take you seriously enough. You are ready to be born again. When you say that, like you mean it, that's why I told you a minute ago, I can't get in the hospital bed and help you through this. I can't get in your head and your soul and help you through this. Lord knows I would like to because I want so much to leave today knowing that all of your souls are saved for eternity. I want to leave every Sunday believing that the Holy Spirit anointed you and turned you toward God like you've never turned towards him in your entire life. And so here's the next part of that formula for being born again, having repented of your sin. You must feel like a, a certain desperation, realizing that you are so sorry that you never took your creator seriously enough, that it grieves you and maybe even frightens you a little bit so that you say to God, what do I do? What do I do? I'm hopeless. I'm lost. What do I do? And this is the moment when Jesus, spoiler from the chosen in season three, Jesus walks on water. And then Jesus comes across the storm on the water and says, step out of the boat and come to me. <laughs> when you're that desperate, you look for rescue and it comes. The hand of Jesus says, I got you. I got you. I've taken care of this for you. I mentioned a minute ago that I could talk for hours with you about the cosmic significance and all of the, the global and, and universal impacts of what's going on in the world of the seen and the unseen, and it's all fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But rest assured of this, all of the unseen realm knows for certain 
that Jesus Christ is Lord over it all and that the victory has been won through him. And everything that is, was, or ever will be is subject to his authority. And he earned that as only he could. And now he is the one who says to you, I've got you. You desperate sinner who wants so badly to be forgiven for your lack of consideration for your creator who loved you so much that he gave me to the world to save you. You take my hand, I've got you. And the next part of the formula is to enter into new life in Christ. It's really like that. And then it will be an awakening of the very Holy Spirit of God. It will be as though your human nature has been replaced by a spiritual nature and you've been born again. You are now no longer a creature of the flesh. You are a creature of God's spirit. You've been born again to an eternal existence that goes beyond the flesh. That's what it means to be born again. That's what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. And yet, Nicodemus just couldn't get it. Here's why, I think. And I have a feeling this might be what's bothering some of us here today. If you make such a lofty decision, if you choose Christ as Lord of your life, if you choose to make his priorities your priorities, you have to give up something. You have to make room for that. You have to let go of something. This poignant scene in, in The Chosen where Nicodemus is so close to following Jesus along with the other disciples and, and he's just around the corner of a building just out of sight and he's just agonizing with this choice and he's thinking to himself I, my wife will kill me I've got this life in Jerusalem I have this authority I have this responsibility everybody knows who I am everything that I am is defined by what I see in the mirror and what I do for a living and, and everything about me is set and he wants me to let go of it all and follow him wherever he goes he wants me to give everything away give it all give it all up and and follow him and Nicodemus couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it, but he wanted to so badly. He just couldn't imagine how he could let go of his old life. And I suppose there's a few of us here that are feeling that way too. How do I let go of my old life? What happens if I give myself to Christ and I devote myself to following him and obediently living according to his priorities and no longer put all of my interests and everything ahead? Then, then what happens if he asks me to do that? You know, I'm going to tell you a little secret. 
I remember praying a prayer when I was in my early 20s. I didn't even know I was going to be married to Laura at the time. I didn't even know I'd become a father at the time. But I prayed this prayer where I basically said to the Lord, Lord, I want to dedicate my entire life to you. I want to devote myself to you with every fiber of my being. But please don't send me to be a missionary in Botswana or something because I don't want to do that. You ever prayed like that? I did. Then when I, became, when I became a dad and I started really pursuing this ministry calling and listen, doing that while you have five young children at home, full-time mother at home and the two youngest children have spina bifida and, and, and when they were young, man, there was just constant stuff related to their disabilities and their medical conditions and everything. And, and in the middle of all of that, I'm, I'm telling myself, you know, I want to be a pastor, but, you know, don't send me to some inner city church or some place like that where I would be afraid for my children. And I, and I said, but to the Lord again. I'll tell you one more story. It happened about six years ago, seven, eight years ago, I don't know. I didn't like where I was before I came here. Didn't like it very much. And I apologize if any of those people happened to watch this. There were a lot of reasons it was a hard place for me, but it was good for a lot of other reasons. But there was this path between our parsonage and the church, and it was about a hundred yard walk through a field, and, and I would walk just bitterly complaining about our denomination and its leadership. I would bitterly complain about how this is not what I signed up for and I would just do, and I felt this weight. That's why I said the other day and you were talking about standing up and using your hands to praise God. That's not how it works for me. Doesn't mean that the other thing is wrong. It just means for Dan, when I want to know that God is right there, I, all I have to do is look at my posture because I will feel myself pressed down into the ground. I will be on my knees, bent over, kissing the ground practically as I pray. That's how I know God is right there. The weight of his presence just crumbles me. And I crumbled in the middle of that little trail between the parsonage and the church. And the Lord didn't speak verbally or vocally to me out loud, but it was very obvious to me that what I was hearing in my spirit was something like this. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? You told me a long time ago that you would do whatever I asked you to do, that you would go wherever I sent you that you would give me all of you and everything that came with you. And you trusted me to take care of your family and you trusted me to take care of everything. And I have never let you down. And now here you are whining and complaining and feeling sorry for yourself. Are you done yet? That's what I felt when the weight of God was pressing me into the field there in Parsons Prairie. That's what I used to call it. And so I wept and I apologized. Seems like in our relationship with God, you do a lot of that weeping and apologizing if you're really on a pursuit of God. And well, one thing led to another and we got through it together and he lifted me back up and I dedicated myself to staying there forever if that's what he wanted. I really did. 
And then the United Methodist Church and all of its wisdom moved me here. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. Well, thank you all for being so encouraging. And yet, what I really want you to hear is, is that I get it. I get it. We're all like Nicodemus. We want to follow Christ. We want him to have all of us. We want him to really reign over this church and this family of faith that we are. He really wants to reign over us and this family of faith. You really want that too. You want to come next week to my meeting and you want to say, let's do whatever God puts on your heart, Pastor Dan. And then something between now and then will say, Hold it. What's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? You're going to ask for more money? You're going to ask me to go places I don't want to go, do things I don't want to do, be here at church more than I've been here? Do you want more and more and more? Is that your plan, Pastor Dan? No, it's not my plan. I don't even know that I could call it God's plan. I know this. He wants every bit of you. He wants every minute of your life. He wants all of your priorities to start with him. Christ wants to be the Lord of your life. Many people claim him as their savior, but far fewer accept him as their Lord. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite you to the communion table and I'm going to invite you to, to, to use this time up here at the altar, however you wish. Communion in itself is not a, a saving act. It's a commemorative thing. It's a, a memorial. It's a reminder of our, it's a sign, you know. But, but the time at the altar, the time when you present yourself before God to receive his grace symbolized and embodied in the bread and the cup, is a really good time for you to say, Lord, I want to rededicate my life to you. I want to make you Lord of my life, not just Savior. I want to live as though my life is not just about an insurance policy against hell. You know, speaking of, how many of you are going to find out how big your deductible is this week? What if it turns out that's the way it is with your insurance policy against hell? There's still a price to pay, even if you thought that's all you signed up for. Better to just live as though it is all his. I got to tell you, with the hard things that I see coming in our society and the hardships that are going to be facing us as Christian believers, there's never been a more important time for you to really dedicate your life to Christ because you're gonna need it. You're gonna need all the power of the Holy Spirit. You're gonna need all the truth and love that comes from the word of Christ. So don't hesitate, don't wait. Give him your life. And you know, you can do it in a subtle way as you come to the altar for communion and you can do it in a lot of you know, personal ways. But you can also come and see me after the service or come up front after the service. Tim and some other folks in the, in the church who like to pray with new believers will join you. But, but don't leave unchanged. 
Don't say like Nicodemus, but let us pray. I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that you burn it into our hearts, that you change our very nature for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you.